We Turned Out Okay is a show about children and families. You get to see into the mind of a child development expert, and you'll learn tons about kids and why they do what they do. It's for grown-ups, so it's not always G-rated. But it's almost always PG. And we'll let you know when it's PG-13 or higher. Also, you can expect some rabbit holes and detours. But we return to the topic at hand. Besides, rabbits are awesome. What have you got against rabbits? Anyway, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn about how to stay sane while raising your little kids. Enjoy the show! Come on, guys! We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Hello, and welcome to episode 255 of We Turned Out Okay. This is the show where we are always helping you change your child's behavior from bad to good, feel happy inside, and truly enjoy the time that you spend with your child. And I'm so glad you're here today. I am Karen Locke Kolb. I am a child development expert and a parent coach. And today I'm so excited to bring you this episode. If you've been listening to any of the more recent episodes, you heard me refer to this particular conversation again and again. I have been so excited to bring it to you. It is with Dr. Laura Markham of AHA Parenting. And I don't want to keep you from from our conversation for very long because I I know that like me, you will be grinning from ear to ear as you as you hear it. So um, I just have a couple of program notes and then we'll get right into it. First of all, the I do each week in Facebook, in our, in our We Turned Out Okay Facebook group, I do a Magic Words for Parents video. This is a quick video that, that gives you some phrase, sometimes it's even just one word, to take into your parenting um, for that week. And this particular week, uh, the one I, so I do them on Mondays at 1030 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the one I did yesterday in real time, if you're listening, was how to deal with the gimmies. And it was just a few, a few quick words, just a phrase on dealing with the gimmies. And in fact, I'm remembering now I have expanded this out. I'm planning to expand this out so that in future episodes, you'll hear, um, You'll hear a podcast episode about dealing with the gimmies, and you'll also be able to see a YouTube video that I created, a, a how-to video about dealing with the gimmies. This is a pretty big topic, so um, so I hope you enjoy that. Go on over. You can you can click the notes for you can quick click the link in the show notes for anything I'm about to say. Uh, it, you can click we turned out okay.com slash 255 numeral 255 will take you right to this episode's show notes. And what you can do there is you can click the link to go to my Facebook page. And from there, you can join the Facebook group. Um, I also every week I embed a YouTube live that I have recently done. And this week's YouTube live embed is on how to get kids to stop fighting with each other. <laughs> so hopefully you'll find that helpful. Uh, the next thing I want to share about is I have got a new book out and I'm really, really excited. The reception for it has just been 
wonderful. Um, it's been really, really exciting. And you can read more about it by going to weturnedoutok.com slash books, or you can click the link in uh, the show notes that will take you directly to the book's Amazon page. So you can, you can get it there. You can actually look at the first like 10% of the book. So you can read some of some of the some of the book and decide if it's, it's, you know, something that works for you. Um, and to go to that Amazon link, again, just go to weturnedoutok.com slash 255 and click the link right in the show notes. I um, always want to say how grateful I am that that you are listening. And I also want to share how grateful I am for uh, my husband, the 21 time winner of the husband of the year award, whose voice you hear up at the very top of the show. Uh, He recorded that cameo to help you understand that this is a long form show, right? This is, this is a show where you get to hear, uh, you get to look into the mind of a child development expert. Today, you get to look into the mind of a child development expert, but more importantly, you get to look into the mind of a child, a clinical psychologist who has dedicated her life. Dr. Laura has dedicated her whole life to um, making your time with your child better and um, and and peaceful and, and enjoyable and, and real quality time. Um, but it's a long form show. And if you need something that's a little bit more concise, I have two free guides to offer you, which you can get to just by clicking the link right in these show notes. Like if you look down into your podcatcher, into the notes here in your podcatcher, you'll see that there's a link to a concise free guide to help you handle every temper tantrum and a concise free guide to help you uh, be successful with potty training, even under difficult circumstances, stressful circumstances. Each of those free guides consists of a video, a quick video and a checklist. And once you have watched the video and read the checklist, you can implement these like right now. So it's, I wanted you to be able to have a long form show that, that helps you really dig into awesome family time. And I also wanted to be able to give you a video and a checklist that will help you with something that you're really struggling with. So, so that's what that's, that's what those are all about. And uh, finally, I just want to say before we jump into this, this episode, I want to say thank you so much for sharing the show. If you get something out of today's show, and even if what you do is you is you copy the link and you email it, you know, to a friend or you text it to someone who you think um, would get something out of listening to Dr. Laura, it's such a great episode, such a great conversation, um, then that really means a lot uh, because it, it's spreading these ideas that are really worth spreading, you know, that are really important. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, it. Thank you also for subscribing because when you subscribe, that means that uh, you get, you'll get to see, sometimes I do bonus episodes or, um, you know, little extras and, and when, when they, when the podcast updates and you're subscribed, you automatically see those. So thank you so much for subscribing. Um, and also finally, thank you for your reviews. Um, I use the reviews to know what to do with the show. And I'm so grateful to everyone who leaves a review. Um, sometimes I even read them out. I might have to do that at some point soon, but in the meantime, just know that I do read every single one of them. Oftentimes I read them out on the show and, um, and if you would do that, it would be much, much, much appreciated. So thank you so much for your reviews. All right. Without further ado, I am so glad to welcome you into my conversation with Dr. Laura Markham. Enjoy the show. I 
first learned of today's guest just a few weeks ago when a Ninja Parenting community member shared an article from her website in our forums. And as soon as I did learn of her, I knew that you needed to get to know her. Today's guest has written books like Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, and Peaceful Parents, Happy Siblings, among others, as well as creating the ahaparenting.com website. She's a beloved speaker. She's coming up with a podcast soon, and I'm so excited to talk to her. Please welcome Dr. Laura Markham. Welcome, Dr. Laura. Thank you, Karen. I'm very glad to be with you today. It is so exciting to have you on the show. Um, I, I just know from from this from this ninja parenting community her name community member her name is Jen and she um she she used a particular article of yours on mindfulness to help her one night it was the night that the kids got flu shots <laughs> and they mm-hmm. were cranky oh. and and basically what she did was she 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 thought to herself okay this could be a crummy cranky night or this could be like an enjoyable night. <laughs> How can I make it enjoyable? And and she remembered your article about about uh, mindfulness. Mm, so I'm so glad. And I, I do want to talk about that. But I first I'd love to guests love to uh, listeners love to hear about uh, where our guests came from and how they got their start and, and why why guests do what they do. So could we could we start there? Uh, certainly. Sure. I do what I do because I have a PhD in clinical psychology. And as I was finishing up, my first child was born, my son. Mm-hmm. He's, he is now 27. He's in law school. Oh, cool. So that was a long time ago. And at that moment, when my son was born, I realized parents are doing the hardest job there is, and they don't have enough support. So I had read a tremendous number of articles on child development. And I knew lots of things that the moms around me, who I would end up talking with at the playground or just, you know, being in a group with, those moms didn't know the same things I knew. And truthfully, even with the articles I'd read, I found that I still had to work on myself, that really parenting is not even as much about the information you have. It's about who you are, how you show up with your child. So naturally, being a parent brings up anything we need to work on. So our children are like our little gurus, you know, they, <laughs> they highlight any area where we can benefit by growing. And if we're paying attention, if we have a growth mindset, we can use that opportunity to be not just better parents, but happier people. So wow. when my son was born was really when I started the journey of wanting to support parents. Wow. I, um, I, while you were speaking, I was, I was remembering my own experience of, I was so ready to be a mom. You know, I feel, I felt like I'd been preparing for it all my life. And I, I worked with young children every day. I was so excited and he was born. And I just, I remember being in the hospital and, and he actually, uh, on his second or third day, he he threw up like he just brought up, you know, uh, whatever he'd been like breast milk and that sort of thing. And I remember being in the hospital and being like, oh, my God, I can't I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And just feeling so um, inadequate and, and feeling like, God, how does anybody like I know a lot about this. How does anybody do this? <laughs> yes. Yes. And the answer is nobody does it gracefully. It is not a graceful process learning to be a parent. It's like you're on stage learning to play the violin while you're giving the concert. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that, that shouldn't stop us from trying, right? We can actually find ways to enjoy that process. I, I wonder, um, I think about, you, you say that shouldn't stop us. And I, I love your mindset of, like, everything that you have said has been universally positive about, about this experience in the sense of, like, you're not saying to yourself, you didn't conclude with your firstborn, oh, my God, I'm done. I can't do this. Like what you thought was was really different from even my my thinking was, oh, how am I going to do this? I can't do this. <laughs> and right. um, do you do you ha, did you always sort of feel like that? Did 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 you evolve to sort of think, gosh, like there's an opportunity here? I, I think that's such a cool way of thinking about it. I guess I always knew that if I was fully present with my son, we could figure out together what needed to happen. Wow. So I wasn't taking my cues from the outside world. I was taking my cues from him. And you know, also I, I'd like to say from my instincts, yeah. I do think our instincts know what to do, but I have learned over the years that sometimes those instincts get really clouded so when parents say to me, well, shouldn't I just follow my instincts? I say, yes, but first get centered. So you actually are getting to your instincts and not your belief systems. Because oh. so, so much of what trips us up as parents is a belief system that says children should be a certain way. We should be a certain way. If yeah. our child isn't a certain way, it means we're failing somehow. We're not good enough. We're unworthy. And the truth is, we are all worthy. We're worthy. We're deserving of love. Our children are worthy and deserving of love. It isn't about the behavior, right? We don't have to do anything to earn that love. Yep. And yep. so many of us, I think, we, even though our parents loved us and tried hard and did the best they could, I think in many instances, we came out of childhood feeling like unless we behaved in a certain way, we weren't good enough. Yeah. And so when we make mistakes, we're hard on ourselves. You know, I, a lot of moms joke about how they're perfectionists, but being a perfectionist is is anti-love, right? It, yeah. it makes us be harder on ourselves. And if you're hard on yourself, you're going to be hard on your child. So I think this all begins with a mindset of, I don't have to do this perfectly there's no way to be a perfect mother or father. Mm -hmm. And my child doesn't have to be a perfect child. They're a child for goodness sakes. They're learning. They're a new human being on the planet trying so hard to learn all this. And they want to be their best self, but they need support to learn how to do that. And they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And when we become parents, we're going to make mistakes. So I think really the biggest, you know, you asked if I always had the attitude, I actually would say, that it came from meditation. I had oh, done wonderful. therapy. I yeah. had been in therapy and therapy was very helpful to me. Yeah. And me I, too. <laughs> course, I, right. And I had read many, many books on, as you did on child development uh, and also on psychology in general uh, and many research articles. But I would say that probably what has been most important in shaping me as a mother and as a human being is meditation. And the reason is pretty simple. Meditation makes us more compassionate for ourselves to ourselves as well as to others and it gives us uh, because there's less judgment we have a bigger capacity to love wow that is just so i've got goosebumps that's so 
So, so good to remember. Uh, you were also, you used a word that I often would find myself using when I, when I was feeling negative and it was, I should be dot, dot, dot. I, I should be doing this better. I should be thinking about this differently. I should be, you know, name me, pick your poison. Right. And, and I often on this show talk about the dangers of the word should. (laughs) Could you Mm -hmm. see it that way? Could you talk about the word should for a moment? I, I absolutely see it that way. I think should is one of those judgments that takes us out of love and into fear, mm-hmm. right? And when we're acting out of fear, we can't create love, right? We can't, we can't, what we do out of fear will always not be what we really wanna do. When we come out of love, we can't go wrong. And I think when we're in a sh- place of should, right away there's judgment, there's fear, there's, there's I'm not good enough, I'm supposed to be this way. Yeah. I just think we need to let go of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and mindfulness is really, I, I keep coming back, you know, meditation is about mindfulness. And um, I want to read a couple of quotes from the, uh, from the essay on ahaparenting.com, which is titled Mindful Parenting, Your Number One Responsibility as a Parent. And I want to read these quotes because they start right at the beginning. And I think they're, they're so great, but they're so um, not what you would think of when you think of mindfulness, I guess. So the first mm, one is okay. the first one is from Benedict Carey. And I don't know, I assume that Benedict is a man. Uh, mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he says, mindfulness, allowing an emotion to take hold and pass without acting on it. So that's the first one. The second one is from an 11 year old who completed a mindfulness training at his high school, quoted uh, his school, sorry, his, his, school. his school. Yeah. Quoted in the New York Times. And, and this, this 11 year old boy says, mindfulness, not hitting someone in the mouth. <laughs> and I, I guess I thought of those because, uh, I, I think some people would back away from the word mindfulness thinking like, oh, it's 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 so woo woo California. It's so kind of not what I'm into. You know what I mean? But but when you look at it this way, you're 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 it's helping you from doing something rash or um, you can look at it as you're you're allowing you're allowing emotion to sort of go through you and you're not acting on it because when we act on emotion that that's dangerous and, and it can be quite scary. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think there was a time when we thought that the way to handle emotion was to shut it down. So I do talk to parents often about their children uh, who are saying to me, well, you know, it's this child needs to stop being so emotional. Yeah. And right. And that parent came from a generation, those parents who say that to me, um, past generations often felt like the right way to deal with emotions is to stop them because they could be dangerous. You know, maybe their parent before them was emotional in a way that was destructive, right? Yeah. And so they want to shut down the emotions. But what we've learned about that is it doesn't work to shut down emotions. That's what Freud called repression, right? When you shut down emotions, you're pushing them under the surface. But you know, what's an emotion really? Emotion is a sensation in your body. Right. We know we're feeling an emotion because of how our body feels. You know, I, I have butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. I'm a little nervous about this meeting that's coming up or I'm I'm um, I'm angry. I feel my fist just clenching or I'm scared. My throat is tightening. Or you just said a minute ago, I have goosebumps that yeah. touched me deeply. Right. Yeah. We know we feel something because of the sensation in our body. So that's great. That's what feelings are. We know we're feeling them 
because of the sensation. And they're like guide markers. They're, they're information for us to use. They're messages. That's great. The problem is when we do one of two things. Either we try to shut them down, which means we cut off conscious awareness of them. And that means you could sort of draw the line at your neck, right? If you imagine as you're listening to this, you know, draw the line across and below the neck, you know, your body's still feeling that feeling. But above the neck, you have no conscious awareness of it. Wow. What's going to happen to that emotion? It's going to bubble up. The body doesn't want to carry around that emotion that's unconscious. It wants to, to bubble up and get healed the way an infection would in your body, right? Yeah. So the body will that give that emotion back to us to bubble up and get healed. And that will make us anxious as it comes up. We'll be like, well, I shut down that grief about my mother dying when I was young because I couldn't deal with it. And now every time I turn around, I'm feeling it again and it's bubbling up and that makes you anxious. Even if you don't know what the feeling is that's coming up, it makes you anxious. So we have an anxiety epidemic partly because we shut down the feelings. So shutting down feelings doesn't help. And of course, the other thing that happens when you shut down feelings is they burst out, they get triggered. Yeah, because they come they're out not, other ways. Right, they're not under conscious control yeah. anymore, right? Yeah. So they just burst out and that's why we yell at our kids, right? We, we're feeling that the child is defiant, that pushes our buttons, we get triggered, we yell. Well, what is getting triggered? Getting triggered is like pushing a button and something happens. Well, the mm. button that's getting pushed is your old button that was installed in your childhood that says children shouldn't be defiant. Yeah. This child is, is out of bounds here kids out of acceptable behavior. They're out of bounds. There's an emergency. And when you were a child, it was an emergency. So you respond as if it's an emergency and you got to slap that kid down. Even if you don't use your slap, you use your voice yeah. to do it. Yeah. And so that's what happens when we repress emotion. But of course, the other, the other thing people often do is they let the emotions out and they scream and yell because it makes them feel a little better. And of course, that's also not good for our kids. Yeah. But there is another way. And the, the, the other way is to be aware of it. If you meditate, what you notice is emotions are always arising and passing away. Once you allow yourself to feel it, the message is delivered and every emotion will begin to dissipate as it's acknowledged. Wow. You know, rage, if your child is angry, rage only dissipates when it feels heard. Well, that's true for the emotions in your body as well. As you allow the feeling to come up, you feel it, it begins to dissipate, and then you can make a conscious, wise decision using your full prefrontal cortex, because it hasn't been hijacked by emotion, <laughs> yep. about, right, about how you want to respond. Instead of hitting someone in the mouth, you can, you can use your words, you know, like, this isn't okay with me, and you can set a boundary. But that's why this 11-year-old figured it out, like, right, it's not hitting the person in the mouth, it's noticing your anger, but choosing how to act on. Yeah. When, um, when my oldest, who's now 18, was an elementary school student, he, um, he really struggled with probably from, I don't know, kindergarten on, I guess. He really struggled with the, he never once said my feelings are hurt. He, he, he sort of went to school and school didn't really work for him. We ended up homeschooling. And um, that worked out much better because what was happening was he was burying his, his, his fears, his, he was really super sensitive kid, um, like all, an empath. I mean, someone who could really take from the emotions around him and not understand them. And it really freaked him out. And, um, he, and then other things like if somebody deliberately, you know, or, or, or hurt his feelings, even if it was accidentally, I remember one time he was about 
seven and he was in a playing a dodgeball game and uh, he got hit. You know, when you play dodgeball and you get hit with the ball, you're out, right? So he got right. hit in his shoulder and immediately started screaming, dropped to the ground, grabbed his knee and screamed, my knee, my knee hurts, my knee hurts. You know, it wasn't about his shoulder at all. It was really because he hadn't, he, he was hum- sort of humiliated at the idea of getting out and he could not handle those emotions. And so he would always, always, always project it into some part of his body. So it really resonates with me when you when you talk about that. And he was nine. I remember it really closely. I remember it really, really well. We were sitting on the couch in our back room and he had had an altercation with someone. And he was able to say to me for the first time ever, <laughs> my feelings are hurt. And he it wasn't mm. a part of his body. It was it was mm. his mind realizing like, oh, you know, this is this is what is hurting me. It's my mind. It's my feelings. And and that was the only way like you. Ju- I just wrote down um, rage dissipates when it's hurt. And not that he was feeling rage, but but sadness, I felt like was was what he was feeling. And it, yes. it dissipated through acknowledgement. Like we could then talk about that. We could, you know, we could we could talk about his feelings and he could get them out in a way that was a choice and not a reaction. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And we can do that by talking. We uniquely among mammals can do that by talking. And it's a wonderful thing. Talking allows us to articulate things in words, brings them into consciousness in a way that integrates both sides of the brain. And so we, the more logical, rational, verbal part of the brain is able to articulate the emotions that are processed really on the other side of the brain. And the process of doing that, that integration builds the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive function of the brain. It's the part of you that connects, can see what happened and what led to what, and allows you to make decisions and choices. So talking about emotion is critical. And in fact, even talking to yourself about emotions as a, if you think about the, you know, if you're listening to this and you keep a journal, writing about your emotions in your journal, your experience actually has been proven to develop the prefrontal cortex. It helps you integrate that experience you're writing about. But even if you think you're just recounting something and how you felt and, you know, that nothing big is being written in your journal at that moment, it's been proven that keeping a journal actually helps with this process of making things. You know, I think of it as sort of shining the light of our conscious awareness mm. on our experience. Mm-hmm. And as we do that, the, the, the tightness in it sort of begins to dissolve. The, the places that you're stuck begin to dissolve and you have more, more freedom to choose, make a conscious choice that's wiser. So there is an element, a real element, I feel like, of vulnerability in this, isn't there? Yes, there is. Tell me what you mean. Well, I'm thinking about, I'm actually thinking about uh, the act of, you know, you're speaking to our, our listener and you're you're saying if you keep a journal and I'm, I'm envisioning myself, I've never done that. I've always felt that a journal was something I just wasn't going to do. <laughs> um, and I, I sort of couldn't imagine doing that. And I thought, why? And I I realized, I think it's because, so I've recently started writing fiction and I decided Mm -hmm. to name my very first book. I decided it's NaNoWriMo month. So I'm, I'm enjoying that national novel writing month. And to me, it feels like a fun puzzle, you know, something to do in my spare time kind of a thing. And um, I decided to name this book, The Pine Wars. It's, I have a friend 
in Maine who um, whose life is and her family's life is really being ruined by the guy who brought up the property, bought up the property next to theirs and uh, is renting it out to people saying, you know, it's completely isolated. You never have to worry about anybody around here. They hear everything. But people bring bands and fireworks and rifles and stuff like that. I mean, and, and they there's there's no recourse because there's no zoning. So um, so I decided I needed to write this friend's happy ending. They are not finding a happy mm-hmm. ending in their life. I'm going to write it for them. Mm. And so um, the act of writing something like so I recently um, th- today I decided that it's not only going to be called the Pine Wars, it's going to be called the Pine Wars or Corinth Foster's Last Stand. And I wrote it and I printed it out and it's on it's on our bed because that, you know, just kind of where my notes happen to be. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, if my husband sees this, what'll he do? I, I think he'd be fine with it, right? But but my initial response was fear that like somebody would make fun of these words that I had put on paper. And, um, and I think that's where the vulnerability comes in because uh, that's why I thought of Brene Brown because she talks about how like fear and vulnerability are the opposite sides of the same coin and you kind of can't have the one without you can't have the vulnerability without acknowledging or or you know pushing through the fear and i thought if he sees it i'm okay with that because he's going to say something like wow that's a cool name you know what i mean or so, <laughs> so so the vulnerability for me is in allowing somebody else to see my thoughts which i haven't uh i haven't decided whether i like that title enough you know what i mean does that make sense yes and I would add that the the you said decided it was okay with you because if he sees it, he's going to say something like, wow, that's a cool title. I want to offer that you're taking the risk that he might say, that's sort of a stupid title, hon. <laughs> yeah. You're taking that risk. Yeah. And it's, it's not likely because you know him better than I do, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But it's possible. Yeah. And so I think when you're, when you say, I'm willing to be vulnerable here, you're also saying, I'm okay, exactly as I am. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody doesn't like my title, even someone dear to me who I greatly trust and respect, yep. that doesn't make me less worthy. I'm worthy no matter what. And if he didn't like the title, oh, that's just information huh, maybe this title isn't as appealing as I thought. Maybe that was just a momentary, you know, quirky thing that I thought of that, you know, it's a private joke, but it's not necessarily going to work in the world as the title for my book. There's some useful information. When we get feedback from the world, it's useful information. It's not a vote on whether we're worthy or not. Yes. So I think being vulnerable, right? Being vulnerable is about reminding yourself when, when we take a risk and we're vulnerable, we have to go through our fear. But, but we also have to remember that that fear is coming up because we think somehow we're going to be judged and found unworthy. We're worthy no matter what. It's just information. We can handle it. Yeah, yeah. And I also think about that, that uh, the trust that develops between a parent and a child and, and, and how that there's some vulnerability in there. Uh, for me, it feels like I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this. I'm, I'm... I think there's a lot of vulnerability there because it's an authentic relationship. Yes. What Anytime a great word. you're authentic. I mean, if you're trying to be vulnerable, we're talking about authenticity here, right? And in any relationship, it's two 
authentic people meeting. If you want an authentic relationship, it's two hearts meeting, two souls meeting, two people who are meeting from their deepest place. But I would add, sometimes we get confused about what that means. Like even, I'll go to children in a minute, but even with your partner, Mm -hmm. many people think, oh, it's an authentic relationship so I can tell him just how angry I am about what he did. Well, yes, absolutely. It is not an authentic relationship if you're not sharing your upset. On the other hand, often the way it ends up coming out is as an attack on the other person. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like as an example, um, um, you know, there's a mom and her husband comes home late after he promised to be home. And he waltzes in the door much later after she's finally gotten the kids to bed. And he had promised to be there earlier. And she's at her wit's end because she got no sleep the night before because she was up with a kid with an ear infection. And she said to him in the morning, I'm going to need help tonight because that's my hardest time of day. Will you make sure you're home? And he doesn't come home on time. Mm-hmm. So when he waltzes in and she says, how could you do this to me? You never, you just don't even love me. You don't care about me. Once again, you didn't come through for me. It was the one thing I asked for. I sacrificed myself and you don't even care about me. Right. So she attacks him. Understandably. Yeah. That's what happens, right? Yeah. Now, there's another way to do it. Because what's under her rage is her hurt and her exhaustion and her feeling that she's not valued and doesn't matter. And if that's what she told him when he came in the door, if she said, you know what, I really needed you here as you agreed to be because I was so exhausted. It was really hard for me. And I come out of this feeling like, like I don't matter in the larger scheme of things. I always come second. And, you know, if she talked about how she felt and, and then said, and when you promise me something, when we make an agreement, it really matters to me that you come through. Wow. So that's a really different different approach, right? The first approach, how's the husband going to feel? Oh, she's always nagging at me. She never understands the boss needed me to work late. And so it's not my fault. And all he's doing is defending himself against the attack. Yeah. The second one, when she does that, he's like, Oh my God, I really screwed up. I can't believe I did that. I forgot. Um, Oh, sweetheart. I'm so sorry. This isn't going to happen again. Let's talk about how to make this work. And I'm so grateful to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Hold it from reaction. So, so think about authenticity. What does authenticity mean? It does not mean dumping on the other person. And then we could take that to children because you said, in the relationship with the child is their vulnerability. Absolutely. Notice that to be authentic, to be fully authentic, that mom had to say to her husband how she felt with vulnerability, Yeah. right? It was about really going under the anger to the real vulnerability underneath, right? It wasn't just dumping her anger on him. So when we're with our children, what does vulnerability, what does authenticity mean? What does it look like? Because we're in a different context there. We're not, it's not a relationship of, equals exactly. We have a unique responsibility Mm -hmm. with children that our job is to be the grown up. Our job is to make them feel safe. Our job is to provide the conditions in which they can grow and thrive. So we can't just be saying, oh, I'm so overwhelmed as a parent. I can't cope. Exactly. Yes. You can't do that with your children. And yet we want to be authentic with our children. We want to be vulnerable with them. Right. So it's a, it's a, more complicated line to walk. Mm -hmm. But I think there are many lessons in there that we can draw parallels, one of which is 
instead of just dumping our rage on our child, which everyone feels anger at their child sometimes, instead of just dumping our anger on our child, we need to take responsibility for what's under the anger and work with that ourselves. So if what's under the anger is our fear that our child, our four-year-old is so bossy, she'll never have any friends. Mm -hmm. Every play date ends in a disaster. And we just want to lecture her and, and even yell at her and shake her. Like, don't you see what you said to your friend? But instead, we need to look at our fears on behalf of our child. We need to, to look at all the feelings we have attached to that separate from her. Mm -hmm. So that when we do sit down with her, we're able to see it from her point of view without having the loading on there of our own unresolved fear. Yeah, gosh, that's so, I, I, the word profound keeps coming up for me. And, and it's also making me think of um, something that happened uh, just under a year ago. My Our oldest has had his license for almost exactly one year, his driver's license. And one of the first nights that he had it, he came home about a half hour after he was, it was agreed upon that he would come home. And I, this is the first time I've ever been in the situation of my kid is late. It's his fault, right? Because it wasn't a, it wasn't somebody else driving him home. Oftentimes, you know, they would get rides from parents or whatever. It was him. It was, it was his decision to be late. And, uh, I, I was like, I want to scream and rage, but I know that's not going to do any good. So I'm not, I'm going to acknowledge my fear and my anger about this. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when he came home, um, I said to him, I, I really, I, you were talking before about uh, the, the, the wife who's not feeling supported when her husband comes home late. And I was, I, in my mind ran through the, the word I messages. Uh, you, if you remember exactly. when I message yes. used to have yes, a different sure. connotation, right? Sure. Now they're like Apple messages, but, um, right. but we said, so an I met, so I, what I said to him was, uh, do you know, <laughs> no, I didn't say, I don't, I'm trying to remember exactly how I said it, but basically what I communicated was I was so worried that you were dead in a ditch. And, and, uh, and I remember that I made a, it wasn't really a joke, but I, I, I sort of piqued his interest with the words <laughs> dead in yes. a ditch. And he was like, Oh, like I, I wasn't thinking of it that way. And, and we, we were able to have a productive conversation in which he understood that I was fearful that he had, you know, died, that I was going to be calling mm -hmm. hospitals mm -hmm. um, because he was late. And and so instead of me, you know, grounding him for two weeks or uh, I don't I don't know, things that parents mm -hmm. do, raging and shouting and stuff like that, I was able to bring him almost on my side and be like, oh, I get that. I'm not going to let that happen. And ever since he's we either talk about it beforehand or he'll send a text to let us know he's going to be late. I mean, he's been really, really conscientious for a whole year. I think because of the way I, I handled that first conversation. Mm, so. mm, I love that. And the conventional way to handle that would have been to rage as if it was really about your anger. Yes. It, it wasn't. In fact, it was about your concern. And when you, if it was just anger, he would have just pushed back at that. He would have felt controlled. He yeah. would have felt right. Yes. But he would have felt like you were telling him he'd done something wrong and he was a bad person. And he would have tried to defend himself against that and prove he wasn't or, he would be like, well, you know, you're mad at me. I'm just going to show you I'm going to do yeah. it wrong again. Right? <laughs> yeah. None of that happened because you were able to take it to a more authentic, vulnerable, deeper level yeah. and share your fear. Yeah. And he he really he rose to that. I mean, he really he really honored that. And um, I, I think like we, primarily our listener 
to this show has young children, has a young child or a couple mm-hmm. of young children, mm-hmm. but they have the same feelings. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen in your children's expressions, Dr. Markham, Dr. Laura, like defiance or uh, anger or frustration or impulsive something, you know, something like I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to throw it because I'm angry. You know what I mean? And, and um, so it's not just teens who have that. It's, it's younger kids as well. And um, I think, I think maybe parents, I don't know if you back me up on this or not, but I feel like parents, sometimes their own childhoods were, some of it was, some of it was wonderful, um, undoubtedly, but some of it was painful, right? And um, when, I sometimes wonder when a parent gets angry and really disciplines a, a young child, whether verbally or otherwise, is it reflecting their own pain from when they were vulnerable and they got hurt? Do, do you ever- I think, I think completely. Yeah unfailingly and parents listening to this you know if you're listening to this and you're thinking well no i i'm disciplining my child strongly because this was an act they did that is just unacceptable mm-hmm. right i i can understand if you're listening and that's what you think but someone else might have seen that unacceptable act and it could be a really unacceptable act you know he clobbered his little brother who's only a year old yeah. pushed him down you yeah know? yeah that's an unacceptable act and Someone else, another parent might have seen that unacceptable act and been just as devastated by it as, as you were watching it, right? Like like some of us might see that and be like, wow, he's very upset. All of us would be there. But then the next question would be, I mean, actually, let me start over. Some parents would look at that and say, that is unacceptable behavior. You hurt the baby into timeout with you. And that's the nicest they can handle it. They're mm-hmm. dragging him to timeout in a very rough manner and they're screaming at him as they do it. Yep. Um, and he's lucky there's no smack because there might be. Yep. So that's one way to handle it, right? It's a very conventional way to handle it, to teach him a lesson about how bad that was. Mm-hmm. Another way to handle it would be, wow, he hurt the baby. First of all, you're, you don't have time to think you're in there helping the baby. Yes, you're, exactly. you're ignoring him. You're helping the baby. Yep. That's the first thing you do, yep. which by the way, isn't what most people do. I, Most I, people so, in this instance, they go in and they clobber the perpetrator yes, and ignore and this ignore crime the, baby, which is crazy. Ignore when, you know where the perpetrator lives. You know, you can find him later if you need to. Yeah, yeah. Right now, help the baby, the yeah. child who needs help. So anyway, so you go help the baby. And then when you're done, when you go back to the other child who did the, the clobbering, there is another way to think about it, which is the baby was really crying, huh? That was really upsetting. Yeah. You must have been really upset to push him down. Something was really upsetting you. What happened? The baby tried to take my truck. Oh, the baby tried to take your truck. No wonder you were upset. That's your favorite truck. You love that truck. The baby wanted it, huh? I was playing with him. The baby tried to take it and he wouldn't let go. Right? Like, you know, and 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 you listen it. Wow, no wonder you were so upset. You're having a, you were having such a hard time with that. And you didn't know what to do, right? So you pushed him down? Is that what happened? Yes. And then you say, I hear you. It's really upsetting to have him try to take your things. And he does that a lot. He doesn't know, right? Because he's just a baby. And it's never okay to hurt him. It's never okay to hurt him. Wow. And then you look in his eyes and he looks in your eyes and he gets it like, yeah, you're right. And you say, I wonder what you can do next time. Yeah. So that's a whole different way to handle it. Now, what makes the difference, right? Well, what makes the difference and why the parent could handle it? The second one, first of all, I mean, we might start with which way is more effective. I mean, 
if yes. you do the if you do the first one and the kid's on the timeout step, what is he thinking on the timeout step? Is he thinking, oh, I really should have been a big brother. I regret brother. my actions, right? He's right. <laughs> oh, I should be a nicer big brother. Poor baby. He's just a baby. He yeah. really doesn't know. I can't believe I hit him. I'll never do that again. Yeah. Is that what he's thinking? No, no of course not. Absolutely he's thinking. Not. He's thinking that baby ruins everything. He's always taking all of my things. Mom never understands. She always takes his side. Yeah. I, uh, no one loves me anymore. I hate her. Wait till I get my hands on that baby. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, so you've just undermined the sibling relationship as well as your own relationship with the child. He's not going to be better behaved in the future. In fact, this is what the research supports. Even timeouts, which are much more mild than a spanking, do they not still help don't. the child behave Thank better. you so much. No, oh my don't. gosh. Dr. Laura, thank you so much for they saying don't. that. It's That's so what true. the research shows. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so doing that versus the second one, where the child is there talking and he feels understood and he feels like, well, mom still loves me at least. And she understands. And yeah, I still can't hit the baby. I have to have a better way of handling it. Yeah. And then he sort of begins to tear up and he looks at his mom and he says, but mom, I don't know what to do. He's always taking my things. Right. And she says, I hear you. We're going to make this better. We're going to figure out a place for your special things where the baby can't get at them. But if he does, because you know he's like you. He's so determined. He gets into everything. If he does come after your things, I am here to help. You can always call me and I will always back you up and I will always help you. Yeah. Like then he feels he has backup. He doesn't have to resort to violence to protect himself, to get his needs met, yeah. right? So yeah. the second way is much more effective in helping him to A, be better to the baby, be nicer to the baby and not be violent to him, but B, want to be. Yeah, it's not just that he is. He his behavior is better. He wants to, and and it, inside it, himself, it shows that he. So he's opening himself up to advice from his mom. You yes, know, there's so. a vulnerability there, and then she confirms that with trust. I mean, like there's such a, yes. an affirming. Yes, it's it's. And um, why is that possible? That's only possible because of the relationship. Because instead of dragging him to time out, which would have made him not open to her, it would have eroded the relationship. She strengthened the relationship by, even though he'd done an unthinkable, terrible thing, yeah. she loved him anyway. Yeah. She understood. She didn't talk about what he did wrong until she talked about how she understood why he'd done it. Wow. It's not that she's not setting limits. She's absolutely saying, you can never hurt him. But yes. she's saying first, I understand. Yeah. And that strengthened that when they misbehave the most is when they need us the most to and that deepens the bond of trust and makes them more open to our influence. You can't control another person, including your children, but you can influence them if you have a relationship that will support it. Oh, so beautiful. I um I have a question and I don't mean beautiful in a sense of I'm not dismissing it I just I have goosebumps again I mean it's so and it's so true it's just I was caught up in the story of it <laughs> um, Well you and, know we were we were going somewhere a minute ago with this where we said what would allow one mother to do it versus the other mother and the question I was answering was you said well does some of that come from our, our own childhoods I think that if we have baggage from our own childhood that makes us unable to control ourselves at that moment. We do. We take the low road. Yep. We either smack our kid or drag him to time out. Yeah. But actually, there is a better way. The high road there in this case is a better way for our child's development and for to prevent further violence. It's a more effective kind of parenting. Yeah. So partly you have to know this, right? The information. But partly you have to control yourself in the moment. And I've had many parents say to me, 
but I just can't control myself in the moment. When he hits the baby, I see red. There's nothing I can do about it. And I say, if you're telling me that as a 35-year-old, then how do you think your child as a four-year-old is going to handle himself in that moment when when the baby touches the truck? Right. If you're not taking responsibility for you. But the reason, not to be judgmental about that parent, the reason we see red in that moment, we all see red. The reason some of us can calm ourselves down in that moment is because we've done enough work on our own childhoods that we've got, or if we've done enough meditation or we've had enough therapy, we've done enough work that we have enough prefrontal cortex to self-regulate. So even though the part of the brain that's responsible for the alarm, the amygdala sets off this alarm system and it's like, alert, alert, he just hit the baby. There's a terrible emergency. And we start to respond to that. The more thinking part of the brain takes over and says, Take a deep breath. Take care of the baby. It's okay. You can, you've got this. It's not, you know, as a mom said to me once, it is an emergency. It feels like an emergency, but it's not life or death. Yeah. In fact, you can handle this. You can do this in an okay way. You can intervene to help the baby and then talk to the other child after you calm down. You don't have to come out swinging. And if you do, if you do, it's because of your own childhood and work you haven't done to process it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that all parents wouldn't see red. They all would. But the ability to calm yourself is the ability to basically take your your history and bring enough conscious awareness to it that it doesn't trigger you all the time. And bringing us right back to mindfulness, which is so uh-huh. amazing. Right. So I have, we our time is, is growing short. And if I could, I, I've got a question from a member of uh, my parenting community who she wants to remain anonymous uh, because okay. of the nature of her question. Could I, could I give her your question or give you her question? Okay. She writes, I'm interested to hear what Dr. Laura's advice is for protecting my kids in my bad marriage. For at least four years, my husband's been refusing to treat his depression. He drinks too much, hates his job, has been unfaithful during this time, and we're trying to repair our marriage, but who knows? The girls who are four and six didn't seem aware of what was happening until the last year or so. Um, It's harder on the six-year-old. This is a little bit longer, so I want to try and condense it a bit, but it seems to be harder on the six-year-old, but they're both, both children are are struggling. Um... The pediatrician's recommended, or the child psychologist, the pediatrician recommended speaking with a child psychologist. Um, the the mom is receiving therapy for herself, and her questions are: What are the make it or break it factors that will give my girls stability amidst all this uncertainty? She says, "I'm doing well with the things I know are important, solid daily and weekly routines. She showers them with lots of positive attention and empathy. Um, what other stuff is equally important that I may not be thinking about?" that may be getting drowned out by my own hurt. So she's recognizing her own hurts, you know? So we know that if children have one parent or one adult who really understands and gets it and accepts them complete with all their messy emotions, no matter what, that child is resilient. They can make it through and and they can make it through like really bad things like the death of another parent. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that those other things aren't risk factors. Okay. Right? The death of a parent is a risk factor no matter how understanding your other parent is. Yeah. The the you know um, being sexually abused or physically abused is a risk factor no matter how some how you know empathic your other parent is, right? Yes. So there are some things that you cannot make it back from. So I would say growing up in an atmosphere where there is 
um, open conflict um, or where the children are being demeaned in any way Mm -hmm. is a big risk factor. So I would ask this mom to consider whether that's happening. But if her children are being demeaned or put down, that's a risk factor. Now, it may be simply that her husband is very unhappy and is drinking too much, as she said, um, and isn't around much. Um, and when he's around, he keeps to himself. Mm-hmm. That will mean that the girls are still getting a message that one of their parents doesn't value them, I yeah. guess, for lack of a better word. And it does set the stage for when those girls get older, that they're going to be looking to men, specifically presuming they're heterosexual, yep. they're going to be looking to men for something they didn't get from their dad, and they're going to be looking earlier than other girls who have good relationships with their dads. That's yep. what the research shows. Yep. So that's still a risk factor, but would it be less of a risk factor to divorce and have him just not be there? Maybe not. So I'm always, when I hear of situations like this, which I do frequently, I'm always trying to balance the the depth, you know, how bad are these risk factors, right? Um, yes. I would say this mom sounds like she's very aware and she's doing great with helping them. I'm so proud of her. Um, yes. to, yeah, it sounds great. Like she's, she's trying to be empathic. She's trying to really connect. I would add there's some basic preventive maintenance um, practices that are really important to help kids, all children, not just kids having risk factors, but all kids with their emotions. One of those is daily laughter, not from tickling and not from teasing, but from usually physical rambunctiousness. Mm, What I call, um, Larry Cohen wrote the book, Playful Parenting, coined the term, I think, roughhousing. Uh, And so there's nothing rough about roughhousing, but it is, you know, it's putting them on your back and you know, being yes. the, the bucking bronco and tossing them onto the couch. <laughs> and so they're like, you know, and they're, they're screeching with delight. Um, but part of that is that they're on the borderline of their fears in a way. It's like, well, mommy really dropped me. If, if they're screeching with fear, you've taken it too far toward their fears. Right. But, but it's a more, it's more the, on the, still on the fun side of that. Yeah. But what it allows the child to do is to process fear that they're carrying with them. And any child who's living in a home with conflict feels fear. Even more covert conflict because they, they, they pick up, as you said about your son, an empath, he picks up people's feelings. Yeah. Children always pick up what their parents are feeling. Children just do. And some children are more highly sensitive than others, just as some adults are. Yeah. But kids will pick up the atmosphere in a home or the tension between parents and they worry. Is it their fault somehow? Yeah, yeah, because they're right? so egocentric. They don't understand. Exactly. They'll feel it exactly. and they won't understand it. And they'll think yep. this must be my fault yep. because they're so egocentric. Exactly. Yep. And so laughter on a daily basis from rough housing is actually really important to help them deal with that fear. You might also find that they cry more easily than other kids. And again, that's just letting out the, the fear that's in there. Um, is actually an important part or, or sadness, you know, like sadness from daddy feeling sort of absent or even daddy having said something in it unintentionally or intentionally hurtful to them, right? That kind of sadness needs to get, get, needs to get processed. So that would come out and, and when it starts, it doesn't start as, um, crying. Usually it starts as anger because Mm -hmm. that's the defense against the crime. Most of us, it's sort of like if you had a you know, when your son came home late and you had been afraid if you'd attacked it or the mom whose husband came home late, you know, and attacked him. So that attack is what children usually do 
when they have tears and fears lurking under there. Yeah, yeah. First they attack. And so really important for this mom and for every parent, frankly, to know that when your child attacks, it's a signal that something's very wrong for them. And our job is to stop, take a deep breath and say, you, you're so upset about this. We can figure this out, honey. I'm right here. What's wrong? So that your child is willing to tell you what's really going on or go deeper yeah. into it. Yeah. If instead you respond by say, if you know, if this child, if her older child, for instance, who she says is feeling it more, acts angry and she tries to make the child behave herself properly, yeah. you're just shutting down the anger and it's going to get bigger. Yeah. If instead you say, oh, you're angry. Tell me about it. What's under there? Not in those words exactly. Um, the child will show you if you make it safe what's under there. And so I think that's all useful to someone in the situation this mom is in. And I would add, don't hesitate to take your kids for therapy in a sense, um, play therapy, counseling, where you would go with them and see what comes up. See if, see if they're if there are issues coming up now, you don't, I wouldn't do that unless you see things really at home coming up or at school, mm -hmm. but you don't want to let your own, um, hurt or issues, um, disguise what's going on with your kids, you know, really pay attention. And if something's not working for them in any way, don't wait, get some sort of counseling to help because that will also give the mom if she goes to play therapy with them, yes. that will give her the tools to know how to talk with them about what's going on. Yep. Yep. Oh, that is, that is wonderful. I really, I really hope that helps uh, my friend, my Ninja Parenting Community member friend. <laughs> I, yes. um, I am so, th th this conversation has gone so incredibly quickly. I can't believe it's already, we're at the end of it. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Laura. It's my pleasure. It was great to talk with you. And you can find Dr. Laura Markham at AHA Parenting. And by reading one of her best-selling peaceful parenting books, um, she's got three books out. And I am going to dive into them immediately after we <laughs> after we finish our call today. Um, you can find me by going to weturnedoutok.com. I am at We Turned Out Okay on Instagram and Twitter. You can join the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group by going to facebook.com slash We Turned Out Okay. And that, the Facebook group is where I do these things called Magic Words for Parents each and every Monday, where I try to give you a quick word or phrase that you can use to take into your parenting week. Um, so, so definitely join in over there. Once more, thank you so much for listening. And finally today, I have a special thanks for our producer, the 21-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want to date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. Cheese that's not yours. Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Derp, 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 derp,